We're reminded online that on July 14, 1789, the Bastille was stormed and taken. And on July 16, Count von Fersen was at Versailles with the king and queen to debate how to forestall the incipient revolution in Paris. After much discussion, Louis XVI decided to go to Paris with the guardsmen to show his personal goodwill towards the revolution, to no avail. Simone Berthier picks up the tale in her study, The Indomitable Marie Antoinette, the chapter titled The Longest Day, the summer solstice, 1791. Throughout the winter of 1790, 1791, Marie Antoinette worked relentlessly with Count Axel von Fersen's help to fine-tune a precise and coherent escape plan with some chance of success Although Louis XVI was less and less hostile to the idea of leaving Paris, she knew he couldn't be counted on to take part in organizing the matter. She'd be lucky if he didn't pull out at the last minute. The only way to get him to agree would be to present him with a well-worked-out plan to which he could have no objection. Their escape took place on the 21st of June, 1791, the summer solstice, the longest day of the year. It got very close to succeeding. As we know, it all fell apart in a little village called Varennes. Thanks to a good deal of scholarly research, we know about its detailed planning, the ups and downs as it was carried out, and the immediate causes of its failure. We are much less well-informed about how it all ended, because the available documents are remarkable for their ambiguity and leave much unsaid, in part deliberately. What would Louis XVI have done had the attempt to escape succeeded? What would have become of him? No one can tell, despite the claims that are sometimes made, that the French Revolution would have been checked. We do know for sure, however, that the failure hastened the end of the monarchy and sealed the king's fate. Clear-sightedly, Ambassador Merci warned Marie Antoinette that she was going for all or nothing. She had to succeed or perish, but nothing at this point would have dissuaded her from clutching at this chance for freedom. And would it have led, some ask, to northeastern Pennsylvania? Located on a horseshoe bend in the Susquehanna River near present-day Wysox, Pennsylvania, Asylum provided refuge for a group of French exiles in the autumn of 1793 and spring of 1794. Some of the refugees, loyal to the king, left France to escape the horrors of the revolution. Others fled the colony of Santo Domingo to escape the slave uprising there. The French refugees, mostly nobility and gentry, even believed that it might be possible for the Queen of France, Marie Antoinette, and her two children to come to asylum if they got out of France alive. In the plans of the settlement, there was a house built for the Queen called La Grande Maison, that from the historical site, the French asylum, in Bradford County. In her chapter titled The Longest Day, alluding to the summer solstice of 1791, 
when Marie Antoinette and Louis XVI attempted to escape with their lives, Simone Berthier leaves us with many questions. What if? What would have happened if? As if that day was a turning point. And it was, for the individuals themselves, and France as a whole. Of course, the summer solstice itself is a turning point. Jilly Shipway speaks more poetically to our experience. The summer solstice is a doorway into the second half of the year. It is a fiery, fertile, exuberant, passionate time when the Earth's loveliness just seems to go on and on. Energy-wise, the summer solstice is like the full moon. It is filled with possibility. It is a dual celebration. As well as celebrating the power of the sun, we are also welcoming back the darkness, the expansion of the light, which began at the winter solstice in December, reaches its fullness at the summer solstice, and thereafter the sun's powers will begin to wane. The year has turned, and gradually the days will begin to get shorter and the nights longer. At the summer solstice, though, the sun appears to stand still before it changes direction. We, too, stand still, pause, and take time to reflect. We have reached the top of a mountain and stop now to take in the view. We look back over the journey we have taken since the winter solstice and look ahead to the path that leads us into the second half of the year. Words of Julie Shipway. Brian Keeler is an artist who celebrates the light of the sun, no matter the time of year, the weather, the country he's in. He's even coined a phrase, heliodelic topography, to describe the sun-drenched nature and light-infused quality of his landscapes and other canvases. He is inviting all of us to celebrate the solstice as the sun appears to stand still, to pause, to paint, to dance and sing from June 14th to the 19th at and near French's Island. Artist Brian Keeler, a native of Bradford County, and John Lacuda, arts advocate and presenter at the festival, stopped in to give us a sense of the solstice along the Susquehanna. First, though, they celebrated their friendship. I've known John for a long time, maybe uh, 20 years. He bought a plein air pastel painting that I did along the Susquehanna, which is very fitting, very apropos along the Susquehanna in Pittston, and he bought it at the uh, Laura Craig Gallery in Scranton, and that was the beginning of uh, his collecting of my work. I own 10 of your paintings, six of your pastels, and I own two prints. <laughs> John, what is it about Brian's work that strikes you so? I think Brian has a way of capturing two things. He captures the beauty of everyday life and everyday objects, and he does it by actually being true to his observation. I think that's a quote of his, <laughs> and that's a quote that I've started to use. And he sees the beauty, and he also has the ability to see the beauty year-round. Some of his best paintings, some of the ones I like the best, are actually late winter, early winter, the autumn. Not a blaze, but just the play of light and the play of energy on the landscape. And he captures not only the physical beauty of a place, but he captures the sense of the place itself. That's why I am, I'm drawn to his work, whether it's of Bradford County or, or, or Luzerne County or Lackawanna County. Whatever it is, he has the ability to see the place for what it has to offer. Brian, when you hear John talk about your work as he did 
Does that ring true to you? Yes, yes, he's encapsulated it very well. <laughs> I think he's read my statements, but that's uh, very close to what I want to do. I, I want to portray the land and the uh, essence of our area here and uh, the northern Susquehanna region. That's primarily what I've focused on for a good part of my career and, and other areas too. But as I grew up in Wailusing, born in Sayre, Pennsylvania, the Susquehanna Valley has uh, been my leitmotif, all, all puns intended. <laughs> Instead of being there on plein air with your canvas or in your kayak or in your studio, you also like to celebrate the spirit, as he said, of a place. And that's through having festivals, bringing us all together to celebrate the spirit of what it is that you value so. Yeah, I think it's sort of just like you said, bringing together various arts. In the past, we've had poetry and, and dance, and sometimes theatrical things have happened, too. So bringing the, the arts together to celebrate. And, and this year, it's really worked out well with our Susquehanna Summer Solstice Fest at French's Island. It's a perfect location and has a lot of history. Marie Antoinette and the, the French Revolution, it's all steeped in, in those traditions. And some of the uh, musicians that we have will be specializing in some French songs, like, like my group, uh, Zingology. It's a, a gypsy swing group, which is the Parisian version of, of American songs. So we were uh, uh, encouraging the, the musicians to do something French <laughs> to uh, commemorate the time. And it's uh, at the solstice, and it's also going to be a, a full moon that, that week, too. It's called a, a strawberry moon. So it sounds like it could be an auspicious beginning if the weather cooperates to uh, inspire the artist. <laughs> And you are inviting John. Yes, uh, John will be, be perfect with the, the history uh, of American artists uh, like the Hudson River School and, and the fact that he said that they started in Pennsylvania, something that I didn't know. But the Thomas Cole aspect has a particular um, interest to me. I've known about him for a long time, but I just became more acquainted with him within the past couple of years. I visited his home in the town of Hudson, New York, and then I found out about his environmental concerns in the early 19th century, which really piqued my interest. You know, I, I've always been attracted to his paintings, but the fact that he was like a proto-environmentalist, it just cemented the, the bond to, to him. And also the fact that he did mythological paintings, which I do also, and he visited Rome and painted in Italy too. So there was a lot of connections. And I just saw an exhibit at the Wadsworth Athenaeum and the, the New Britain Museum in Connecticut. And their, their work is just incredible. And so there's a lot of affinity between uh, myself and their work. <laughs> Actually going to focus on some of the things that Cole said and wrote and some of his paintings. He did a series of paintings of the Catskills. And they actually fold right in front of his house. And over the years, they started as very, very pastoral. And they would have sheep in the background or the, in the midground. And they might have some young ladies picnicking. And then he started to see the destruction of the forest. And he has one where there's an axeman carrying an axe and there's some truncated trees. And then finally, the, the railroad appeared. And the railroad brought, by far, much, much more destruction. And he wrote about the wanton destruction uh, of the trees. And it really wasn't so much his, his words. It was the fact that he highlighted these things. And because New York City needed water, they set aside a large part of the Catskills as a watershed. And you can go there today and walk along the same paths that Thomas Cole walked on. And you could see the very same vistas. And we owe that to his pointing it out as beautiful, but also the fact that land 
nature has an economic value. And if we cut ourselves off from that economic value, we do ourselves harm. And so how do you conceive the festival itself, Brian? Well, there's a, a lot of moving parts to it. When I first got this idea last year, there's different parts to it. The festival used to happen at French's Island back in the 70s and 80s. Um, my father took part in it and other people. And then it kind of fell aside. But this canoe trip, this is the 30th anniversary of this uh, canoe trip. Uh, but it's always been like a small group of friends, maybe. I think 25 was the most, but it's usually like around a dozen people. So we went to French's Island last year, and, and then we got the idea, let's do it again this year. And then... Uh, I decided to to make it more open to the public. And then a committee just fell together. The Arts Council got behind it, and we have a wonderful committee. Everybody's into it and working at it. We have a graphic designer and various people, different capacities. There's artists and musicians that are part of it and other people that are more managerial and had experience with the financial part. And we've done really well with fundraising. We were too late with getting grants because we started too late for the grant cycle. So we've gotten our, our budget all through the uh, largesse and, and and support of businesses and individuals and organizations. So we're very appreciative and thankful for that. So it it's come together and it's got various parts. Probably the core of it is the plein air part of the festival. And that starts on uh, Tuesday, the 14th of June. And we're going to start uh, painting during the day. But in the evening, all the artists are going to convene in my hometown, Wailusing, and we're going to do a uh, Nocturne views of Wailusing, and the term nocturne usually means night, but in the plein air uh, groups, it can mean a, a sunset too. And that's the night of the full moon. So if the weather's clear, we'll see the full moon coming up over uh, Wailusing. And, and part of it too is to, like John said, is to honor the uh, the beauty of the area and the uh, the history. And also that includes like the architecture, the uh, agrarian history of, of barns and uh, Victorian houses. And the uh, towns in our area of Pennsylvania have beautiful architecture. So it starts on, on that Tuesday. And then Wednesday is sort of the official kickoff time. We're going to have a uh, meet and greet and, and muse event. And John's going to be the, the guest speaker for that. And we're going to have the Doug Smith Jazz Band play, and I'm going to be sitting in with them. <laughs> so that is sort of the the kickoff event where all the artists will bring two or three paintings that they've done prior to the festival. So it'll introduce them to the community and anybody that wants to come. And then on Thursday night, all the artists will be convening in Tawanda during the day, not in the evening, and will be painting downtown Tawanda. <laughs> And then on Saturday is sort of the uh, the big day. That's well, The music starts on Friday and goes through Sunday. It's nonstop music. We have three bands from the scranton Wilkesbury area, Don Chappelle, and, and as you probably know, he writes songs about the Susquehanna, and Jay Smarr, uh, he does songs about this area, and coal mining songs, and Doug Smith, the jazz band, uh, the American tradition of, of jazz music. So, and then there's other musicians from as far away as, uh, as Vermont and, and New England, a couple of groups from Massachusetts coming in, and then uh, a couple of groups from uh, Ithaca, New York, and then there's one or two uh, local bands too. So it's a, a mixture of bands and a, quite a variety of music. And one of the advantages of it is, uh, like, if you're a fan of uh, bluegrass, for example, you might just go to bluegrass. But this way, you could hear a variety of, of music in uh, in an evening or in an afternoon that you might not normally have the opportunity to hear. So it's a nice introduction to a, a wide variety of music. 
and it's very inexpensive. So we're giving all these groups for a very reasonable price. And uh, you can even get it at a discount if you register online through Eventbrite before June 3rd. So you can uh, get your tickets that way. Uh, on Saturday, all the artists will be convening at French's Island. And they'll be working outdoors and the music will be going on. And we also have a full day of environmental presentations by authors, poets, and ecologists and environmentalists. And John is also going to repeat his talk then during that day. And so it's a a full day of environmental advocacy, which I think of as in the tradition of, of Thomas Cole, because we're in this beautiful place. And we don't want to see it just compromised in, in a severe way. So it's in Thomas Cole's tradition of uh, melding and blending uh, the aesthetics with the practicality of environmentalism. Were you going to read something for well, us? Well, yes. I, I, I found this book. It's called Artist of the Old West, and it's by a John Yours, I believe. And it has all the great artists of the American West. It has Catlett. It has Bierstadt. It has Remington. But I'm going to read a little section about Thomas Moran. And he, he starts by saying how Thomas Moran got on the expedition, the Haydn expedition, in 1871, and how he made the acquaintance of uh, William Henry Jackson, who was the pioneer American photographer. And he writes that, and I'll quote in part, he says, Jackson, that's William Henry Jackson, recalled that Moran, that's Thomas Moran, left the base camp with his memory as well as his portfolio and sketchbook stored with abundant material eager to get back to his studio and begin work on those wonderful creations that were to bring fame and fortune in the years to come. But he also did much for the American people. Moran illustrated Haydn's timely article on the Yellowstone region in Scribner's for February 1872, in which the geologist urged Congress to at once pass a law setting apart as a great public park for all time to come. Moran's colorful watercolors and Jackson's sharp photographs provided visual proof to the committees of Congress who considered that measure. On March 1, 1872, President Grant signed the bill establishing Yellowstone National Park, the first such national reserve in the world. True, 31 years earlier, George Catlin had suggested that the entire Great Plains be declared a national park to preserve both its buffalo and its Indians. But in those days of rapid national expansion, his plea had fallen on deaf ears. And I believe that this book was published in 1964. And yet there are very few people, 1965, very few people who know that what we call America's best idea was born in the heart, the mind, and the soul of George Catlin right here from Wooksburg. And so I'm going to be talking about that. And I like to bring things to the present. There's dozens upon dozens of things that people can do to help the environment, to leave a much smaller footprint, and to preserve that which is meaningful and worthwhile naturally and culturally and historically and artistically. John, you just read to us about Thomas Moran picking up his sketchbook and portfolio, going out into the wilds to capture scenes of the land we know as Yellowstone. Brian, you work out in nature regularly, and you'll have many artists doing just that during this festival. Would Moran and you nod to each other en plein air? Are there similarities? 
Uh, probably very similar. I'm not sure what he used. Uh, I'm not sure what his materials were, but it, it's that tradition of working directly from nature and being open to what's happening in the serendipitous way. It's uh, very different than just taking a photograph because you're there for you know a few hours at minimum. You could be there for a, a whole day, but just feeling the air and seeing the effects of light and uh, the ambiance and the the various things of working direct from nature. It's it's very enjoyable, too. I mean, there's challenges, you know, with, with the wind and the insects and so forth, and, and then today with with traffic or, or whatever, and, and there's not quite as much wilderness, but there's similarities and parallels. And, and I do often think of those, especially uh, when I'm in uh, Italy, but here, too, there's there's been several times when I've been in the same places, like I was near Orvieto, and uh, Turner had painted at the same spot that I was in, and it was just quite thrilling. And, and so there's uh, things like that with the tradition, and there's another painter, uh, not part of the Hudson River School, but Robert Henry, and he had connections to this area. He had a summer home in uh, Black Walnut, which is between Meshoppin and Laceyville, and there's a f- famous painting of his that is in the Westmoreland Museum, which is in western Pennsylvania. Uh, it's a painting of a carnival at Meshoppin in the, the early 1900s. So there's this tradition of, of various artists in our area that's fun to, to connect with. <laughs> Brian Keeler, artist and a native of Bradford County, and John Lacuda, arts advocate and presenter at the upcoming Solstice Celebration, June 14th through the 19th at or around French's Island in Bradford County. You are invited to enjoy music, art, and presentations throughout that time period and celebrate the summer solstice. There will be presentations by John Lacuda about artists, George Catlin, born in Wilkes-Barre, Thomas Moran, hailing from Philadelphia and the Hudson River School, and he will talk about their work and also their heightening of the sense of the importance of the environment. That's one of the presentations. Treby Johnson, author of Radical Joy for Hard Times, you've heard her on Art Scene. She will be following her presentation with a discussion of how we can make simple, meaningful gifts to the Susquehanna River and in the process to ourselves. There will be many performers as well as we heard Zingology presenting swing music from and influenced by Django Reinhardt and the others, tying everything to France in that way. But there are people like Emerald Ray. She explores the boundary of fiddling. She does Americana and more. Don Chappelle and the Pickups, River Songs. There will be an open jam and chance for you to sit in. Jay Smarr, the Northeastern Pennsylvania folk and coal mine music specialist. Jahail Kirkhoff, Memorial Contra Dance Band, will be playing for dance. There will be a salsa dance lesson offered by Brian Keeler, and you don't need a partner. So much and such a range of events, music and art, and you can enjoy as the plein air painters are out and about rendering what they experience of the landscape on their canvases throughout. If you need more information, SusquehannaSolsticeFest.com, SusquehannaSolsticeFest.com. And again, it runs from the 14th of June 
through the 19th in and around French Asylum, and that is in Bradford County. And as we heard from Brian, the painters will be in Tawanda, for example, painting downtown Tawanda. So check the website for the complete listing of events, susquehannasolsticefest.com.